0: Amen. So it is Mother's Day today, and I just want to take a, a moment to say first, Happy Mother's Day to all those in who are or have been mothers. I um, also uh, want to take a moment. I mean, my—it's um, a big celebration. My mom was remarried last week. Um, that's where I was, and that is a wonderful, beautiful thing. And Mother's Day is different this year. Uh, Mother's Day is different for many of you for many reasons. And uh, we think it's always uh, good to acknowledge the celebration that Mother's Day is and to just give you a hearty Mother's Day from the bottom of our hearts. And hopefully y'all who are mothers uh, feel that love from your people and from us. Um, But also just to say, uh, you know, every time we gather here... (laughs) Someone's celebrating something. Someone's given birth to something new. Or they're in mourning. Or, or have some funeral. Or celebrating a graduation. In a season of growth. Or a season of trial. Mother's Day is no exception to that. As a matter of fact it might be more. This day brings such. I'm sure. A mixture of emotions. Especially if we collectively take. The whole room. Into account. So. If you are a mother in here today, um, I personally may not know how that feels, nor how any of the various places you might find yourself in feel today, but from the bottom of, of my heart, the bottom of our heart today, Happy Mother's Day. We hope that you feel and see the sunshine, and that you feel loved and appreciated, because you're wonderful. Uh, why don't we say a prayer, and then we'll jump into what we're going to be doing here today. Uh, Lord, thank you that you um, you created motherhood, you created fatherhood, you gave us the ability to be fruitful and multiply and to get a picture of what it's like to be you by watching children grow in the ache and beauty and wonderful chaos that it is to call ourselves a parent and particularly in a special way for those who call themselves uh, mothers, mothers. Um, we, we just think of those today that this, this day is a reminder of pain. Um, we know it is a celebration, certainly yes, but for some, seeing that day on the calendar is just something that they dread. So our, our hearts go out and we pray for extra peace and grace for those today, kids, mothers, fathers, whoever, uh, where Mother's Day might be a difficult day for them, would you meet them with extra love and extra grace today um, that they may know that you are the good, good parents of all of us. So we look to you, praise you, and depend on you for life itself. Thank you for being uh, the parent that we all need. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You know, the older you get, the more you have to admit that you might have um, a body that kind of stinks sometimes. So I got, I think, allergies. But I don't know. Um, If I hawk up something on stage, please forgive me. (laughs) It's not my fault, um, but I have a little something kind of going on right here. Um, But today we're going to be in two different passages uh, in Genesis chapter 21 and 26. And we're going to cover the ground that's in between those chapters in the coming weeks. But I wanted to spend time today... In Genesis 21 and 26 because you'll see there's a thread that kind of connects those two stories that I think is fascinating and interesting and helpful for us to see um so I'm going to be telling them together and we're going to jump into right away Genesis 21 starting at verse 22 so let's jump into that it says at that time Abimelech you'll see that name show up in the next story too okay um Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham. So now we've been talking about Abraham for the last couple of weeks. Uh, God is with you in everything you do. So this is Abimelech sharing this with Abraham. Now swear to me before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show me and the country where you now reside as a foreigner the same kindness that I have shown you. Abraham said, I swear to it. Then Abimelech complained, excuse me, then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. You'll see that theme, a well, appear later. Hence, there's kind of something on stage that looks like that right now. Uh, verse 26 But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me, and I heard, and I heard about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech and the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe, ewe lambs from the flock and Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by themselves? He replied, accept these lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. Verse 31. So that place was called Beersheba, because the two men swore an oath there. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk, tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord. That theme reappearing here, Right. The eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. So two things. There's a lot there. But two things. Abraham dug well, a well and planted trees. Let me tell you quickly about this tamarisk tree. Um, Here's a picture of it. I think we have. Yep. So... It was a tree in the desert that provided more shade than any of the other trees. Um, I've been there uh, in October, and there are some little bushes that you're lucky to get your body underneath, and then there's rarely a big tree like this. And they say that it, its shade provides 10 to 15 degrees uh, cooler area than all the other trees around it, which, when you're in temperatures like that, could mean life or death. So Abraham plants one of those trees. Why did he do that? He gets to that area where where he was going to stay for a while and he plants a tree. The only problem with this particular kind of tree is that it grows very, very slowly. It takes about 50 years for that tree to grow large enough to provide the shade that you actually want from it. So when Abraham plants this tree... What what does that tell us about him? When he plants that tree, it's not necessarily planting it for himself. People didn't necessarily plant those trees for themselves. It takes 50 years to get to a point where it provides shade. When you plant a tamarisk tree, you are planting them for your children, your grandchildren, and for future generations. So he gets to this place where God told him to go. And Abraham says, all right, I'm going to build a well for myself and future generations. And I'm going to plant a tree For future, not even myself, for future generations. He was planning on his family being in this place for generations. Why? Because God gave him that promise, right? He believed in God's promise, so he took that faith in the form of like a seed and planted it in the ground to say, we're going to be here a while. If this is the place that God is blessing us with to be a blessing, not only to ourselves but to the rest of the world, then I'm going to plant a tree. Did Abraham's children re- receive that blessing by staying in that land and, and all the symbolism that comes with that and that place long enough to see the trees grow? And that's where we're going to jump from chapter 21. To 23, because I want you to see kind of the continuation of that story. And I think you'll be fascinated to see what happens next. Uh, chapter 26, both Abraham and Sarah are dead at this point. There's a lot of stuff that happens from 21 to 26. But at this point, Isaac, the son, is now in a position to carry the blessing of the family. He's the head of the household. Remember, we talked about the of uh, the patriarchy. He is. The one now that is carrying that forward for uh, his family and the family of his his father as well. So chapter 26 verse 1 says this. Now there was a famine. If you're paying attention, there's so many parallels I'm not going to touch today. Uh, there's a couple, uh, the, the ones that I think we really need to see. But there's so many parallels. If you go back to Abraham's life, you can see happening now in his son's life too. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. So the names are right there. And Isaac went to Abimelech. Now this could have been the same king or it could have been the son or grandson of that king, that his, that, Abimelech, that we read about before. But in any case, he has the same name. So Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac. Okay, so now the Lord is with Isaac, the son. He was with Abraham and now he's with his son. This blessing seems to be continuing as God said it would so uh, the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. Same thing he said to Abraham. Live in the lands where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while and I will bless, I will be with you and I will bless you. For you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and I will confirm the oath I swore to your father. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and And will give them all these lands, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked about his wife, we'll hear more about her later, he said, She is my sister. Because he was afraid to say, she is my wife. Isaac kind of sounds like his dad now, right? You see these patterns happening here. He thought, the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac, uh, you know that word, his wife Rebekah. So Abimelech, thank you for the courteous laugh. there. there. Um, words that make me uncomfortable reading in front of a hundred people. Uh, that might be one of them. Uh, verse 9. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, Because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. All these layers, all these connections, like father, like son, right? Verse 10. Then Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people. Anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Isaac planted crops. Similar situation to the trees. He planted crops in that land. And in the same year reaped hundredfold, because the Lord blessed him. Did he deserve that blessing? Maybe, maybe not. But the Lord blessed him. It was God's plan to see this family become a blessing to the whole world. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. I've already said it a couple times. There's a lot there. um, But I want you to notice uh, this. We see a lot of the same things in Abraham's life. Uh, in the chapters that were before these ones that are now in the lives of his son. And that's a weird feel- that's actually a weird feeling as a human, isn't it? To see, like, I am my dad. <laughs> I can see these patterns, or I am my mom. We, we inherit, uh, for better or worse, uh, the stuff from our parents. And of course, we can choose to become a new person on top of that. But we see a lot of the same things happening in Isaac's life that happened in his dad's. And the best of all, that we've just finished reading there, is that Isaac was blessed. This promise of blessing that God uh, began, his, his plan B option to bless and save the whole world now is continuing in the second generation. Everything was heading in the right direction. The story was good. My tone implies that something changes. <laughs> so watch what happens next. Verse 14. He, Isaac had so many flocks and herds and servants, he was so blessed that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells, I'm going to read this slow, so all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines had stopped up, filling them with earth. What does that mean, stopped up, filling it with earth? It means they threw stuff in it. Rocks, dirt, whatever they could find, they stopped it up. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Move away from us. You've become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar where he settled. All was looking good in Isaac's life, the blessing was being carried forward. If Abraham could see it, yes. The fruit of the crops, the wells that he dug, the blessing is continuing. Praise God. Wells in a desert provide the life and vitality that you need to survive. We take that for granted because I just pulled this out of the fridge. But water is hard to come by in this place. So all looked good, but there was an enemy. There was an enemy that didn't want his family to have access to the life sustaining water that their father had placed there for them. They were a symbol of God's blessing. If he's calling them into this land, then he's going to give them what they need to live within it. Most of all, water. But now, there's this enemy that's filling it up. That's putting things in the way. And this enemy did not want Isaac to see the flourishing. As a matter of fact, he was threatened by it. But did not want Isaac to experience what God had for him. I want to look at this story metaphorically for us today. So, let's say your life is a well. Do you ever feel like the wells in your life are being filled with things that get in your way of actually accessing it? You know what I mean? You ever feel like you, you have an idea of what things are supposed to look like, but just can't get it together? Or another car accident? Or I'm sick of this addiction? Or people keep deserting me? The Bible describes a spiritual enemy. led by the devil himself. So it's, in the New Testament it talks about that our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, it's not against people, but it's against powers of darkness and principalities in the spiritual realm. So we now, being much further in the story, can see that there is something beneath everything that is either pulling us towards life or pulling us towards death. Insert Star Wars reference, if you want to think of it that way. There's, there's a, a draw, a gravitation, a force, I guess, towards life and towards death. And the devil himself is described as a deceiver, a liar. He's the snake in the garden that deceives Adam and Eve to allow sin to enter the world, to believe their own words and to believe the words of the deceiver rather than to believe the life-giving word of God. This enemy... Does it ever throw rocks in your well? I mean, maybe it finds its way through relationships in your life. That's true. People can say terrible things, but does the enemy ever throw rocks in your well? Things like, you're not good enough. It's Mother's Day. You're a failure and you'll, you're turning out just like your parents. You're stupid. There's no hope for you. You may as well give up because you failed. Guess what? God failed you. The lies go on. You're stupid. You're ugly. No one loves you. All the rocks get thrown into our wells. Does that sound familiar? The wells that his father had dug were stopped up with rock and earth. The enemy filled it up with things that did not belong there. So what was Isaac's response? What was their response to the water being plugged up? Verse 18. Isaac reopened the wells that his had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham had died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them before. Who God wasn't done. Just because someone throws a rock into the well doesn't mean there's not water down there Instead of accepting the stopped up wells, Isaac remembered that his father had dug these wells. And that they were intended to be a blessing and to give life not only to him and his family but eventually to the rest of the world. They redeemed these wells. They pushed back On the lies of the enemy. Isaac chose not to believe the enemy. So what did him and his family and his servants and his people do? They picked up a shovel. Probably not this one. But they picked up a shovel and they began to dig. They began to dig out all the wells that the enemy had filled up. That represents all the death. All the voices. And they dug each one out. In an attempt. To redeem the word that God had given to them. Watch what it, watch what it says in verse 19. Isaac's, excuse me, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a fresh well there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, "The water is ours, so he named the well Esek, which means dispute because they disputed with him, okay, so they decided they weren't going to put up with the lie. they were going to get those rocks out of there, but there was still resistance doesn 't that feel familiar? Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also, so He named it Sitna, which means opposition. So despite the opposition, they just kept kept digging. He moved on from there and dug another well and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, which means room. Saying, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in this land. Where do you think the rocks go when people decide, metaphorically here, when people decide that they're not going to put up with the lies anymore? Where do you think the rocks go? If they're lies, they should go back to where they came from, right? You are a child of God, you're not stupid. You were bought with a price, and God loves you. Mm. Listen, nobody's perfect, including parents. There may be things you love about your parents, maybe things that you don't want to be. But listen, you're not your parents. You can be something new. God can give you a new name. (laughs) There is hope. The story is not over. From there he went to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of Earth. Father Abraham, do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and increase the number of your descendants for the, the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched a tent and his servants dug a well. This isn't just a story about people with muscles big enough to dig out heavy rocks. Even though those wells were like 40 feet across, or 20 feet across, and they're huge. It would take a lot of effort. Matter of fact, it took a lot of effort to get these little guys up here. But this is a story about people who believed in the promise of God despite the dispute, despite the opposition, despite the lies to believe that God has provided us with life and hope that nothing in this life can take away from us. And that motivated them to to dig. It says his servants. That means it was a whole bunch of people. It wasn't just one person like me picking these little rocks up and throwing them. It's a group of people digging out Rock by rock. That makes me think about us. What's the point of church? Is it to create uh, an elite social club? No. Is it to conform the shape of the pews you're sitting in to your bottom side? No. It's to grab a shovel and dig out wells to show people where the water is. And to remind each other too. We are well diggers. The water doesn't come from us. But we have a community in Wyoming that is really, really thirsty. God has given us a mission and it's A lot like digging wells in the desert. We get to help people find their way back to God. We get to be good news to people. We get to be a community of belonging where people are formed and sent to be good news for Jesus. We dig out a well every time we show up. Yeah, to show up here in the gathering for sure, but to show up for our neighbors. To show up at your workplace every time you decide to dig out a rock you are saying no to the enemy and yes to God's voice yes to God's plan imagine if everybody in here if we all took that seriously in all areas of our lives what if we thought of our work our schools our neighborhoods our grocery stores our barbers As perfect places to dig a well. Or perfect places to speak life and dig out a a rock. To remind people that there is hope and there is goodness. And the story is not over. Jesus had many fascinating things to say about himself. Related to water. Once when he was sitting with a woman at a well. Having a conversation about her troubled life, he said, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed the water I give them will become in them a spring of water leading welling up to eternal life. In a different setting he stood up in a large crowd of people and said uh, in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me as scriptures has said, rivers Of living water will flow from within them. My friends, we found water, and the name of that well is Jesus, the resurrected one. See, because they buried him too. The enemy buried him too, but that grave, that stone was rolled away. (laughs) Everything depends on that. So I don't know what you feel buried beneath personally today. I don't know how many rocks are sitting on top of you right now. But we believe in the one who has resurrected from the dead. He has that power and he gives that to you too, my friends. So we get to give each other hope that in the meantime, when we wait for the return and the completion and the day that he has planned to make all things new, we get to help each other little by little by taking out rocks and letting each other know that there is hope. Letting strangers that we, have no, we don't even know know that there is hope. We don't know your story, but we know the, the story of the one who has brought hope to dead places. We have good news about eternal life, which is described as a well that never runs dry. Which also means that it can't fully be stopped up by the enemy because Jesus is a, the stone crusher. We get the joy and responsibility as Christians. To point to Jesus who is the true well in the desert. What does it mean to be a Christian? I think it's pretty awesome. I think it's actually really exciting. Because all of these things in life are good for a season. But they all kind of lead to that thing called death. But we believe Jesus has overcome even that. And there's greater things even beyond it. It's interesting when we think of communion. We don't often think about it like the way I've been describing it right now. We, we rightly, for sure, reflect on what Jesus did for us through his life, his death, and his resurrection. But today, we're going to take communion, as we bring things to a close, with the mission of our Savior in mind. What rock needs to be removed from your well? Ask that question to God to remove it. Share it with somebody around you. Who is Jesus asking you to dig a well for? And what rocks are in the way that we can help remove in our community, not because we are the saviors, but because we know the one who is, if we pick up a shovel and commit ourselves to that work long term? Y'all are already doing it keep doing it. Keep digging. Keep believing that the best is yet to come. God is not done. And we can see stories along the way that give us hope that lives can change. So as we approach this table today, let's think of it that way. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed He took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Nice. You proclaim that the story isn't over, even though we feel buried sometimes. Even though it feels like the enemy has put enough rocks into our wells that we can't see the water. Jesus has resurrected from the dead, and that's our symbol. That's our mission, is we get to share that news in word, in deed, in hug, in thought, in everything. That we get to be the arms and feet of Jesus in this world. So as you come forward. Consider this a reminder. Of Jesus dying for your sins. Resurrecting to give you eternal life. And saying yes to the mission that he's given us. To be good news. To a thirsty, thirsty world. Let's pray and then we're going to invite you forward. Lord, thank you for. The hope that we have, thank you for these ancient stories of people from long ago, our spiritual ancestors that we can see had the struggles, had the challenges, some we will never face, but some we can completely relate to when we think of a good thing being stopped up by rocks, of water that we don't have access to, of spiritual, eternal life that we know must exist somewhere, but we just get blinded and distracted and uh, deceived to think that you don't want us to to have it. But you have come that we might have life and life to the fullest, Lord, as we take this symbol of communion this morning. I pray that it will be a reminder to us that you have given us water. You have given us eternal life, and you're inviting us to share that with the world, too. So just believe it. It's in your mighty name that you're resurrected.